Good evening, it is 5 p.m. and you're listening to Today in YGK on CFRC 11.9 FM. Brought to you by CFRC's News Collective, Christina Laurie, Dinah Jansen, Erica Singh, Zayden Vergara, Katrina Johnston, and Mia Lettinen. CFRC's news programming is also brought to you through the support of the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University, and What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street. I'm Christina Laurie and here are your local news headlines. The Limestone City Blues Festival concludes its historic 26-year run, paving the way for a new musical journey. After an incredible 26-year run, the Limestone City Blues Festival, produced by the Downtown Kingston Business Improvement Area, is drawing to a close. This beloved annual event has been an integral part of the community, showcasing world-class blues talent, fostering a sense of togetherness, and creating lasting memories for countless attendees. As a decades-long passion project for the organization, the decision to end the festival was made with careful consideration and an eye toward the future. The BIA is currently working on plans for a new music festival set to launch in 2025. The new music festival will be designed to better reflect Kingston's growing population and will aim to invite a broader audience to enjoy the experience of a large-scale live music event held in the heart of the city. This year's final edition of the Limestone City Blues Festival had already undergone many changes, as described by Jan McDonald, Festival Artistic Director and Director of Events at the BIA. We've been noticing, and not just as a result of COVID, but as a result of changing demographics, that our audience was getting a little bit smaller sort of year after year. And what we've noticed is that the average age of our audience is definitely, you know, blues fans tend to be 55 plus. Uh, So the number of people who were coming out to the festival was decreasing little by little each year. And then of course we had the impact of COVID. So people in, in that age bracket were less likely to come out to events where there were a lot of people. So we had some brainstorming sessions last fall with stakeholders, not only our staff, but our board members, some of our business owners and people in the music industry, just to chat about what we could do to make the festival new and interesting to a younger demographic. Just after the wrap of this year's festival, McDonald also foreshadowed these big changes to come. Uh, We are um, having serious planning sessions this fall to look at the future of not only the Blues Festival, but other festivals and events that we do. Um, You know, everything has its time and its place, and uh, I'm certainly not saying that the festival will go away. I really don't think it will but I think it will likely morph into a little bit more of a music festival as opposed to a traditional blues festival. The BIA would like to extend its heartfelt gratitude to everyone who has supported the Limestone City Blues Festival over the years. The sponsors, vendors, volunteers, and of course, the dedicated blues fans. As the organization bids a fond farewell to the Limestone City Blues Festival, it looks forward to creating a new musical tradition that will be as vibrant and dynamic as Kingston itself. In a message from the City of Kingston, September 30th, 2023 marks the third annual National Day for Truth and Reconciliation in Canada, and there are a number of community-led events taking place in Kingston to honour it. The day responds to Call 80 of the 94 Calls to Action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada. September 30th is a day to honour survivors of residential schools, their families and communities, and to ensure public commemoration of the history and legacy of residential schools remains a vital component of the reconciliation process. It is also Orange Shirt Day, an Indigenous-led movement created as an opportunity to discuss the effects of residential schools and their legacy, and to share and learn from the stories of survivors. It is a celebration of resilience and an affirmation that every child matters. City Hall will be illuminated in orange on Saturday, September 30th. City Hall will be illuminated in orange on Saturday, September 30th to recognize the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Indigenous-led events and ceremonies are planned around the community to create space for Indigenous peoples to connect and honor the day. Non-Indigenous community members are invited to listen, learn, and reflect on the history of Canada's 
Texas residential school system and the lived experiences of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit. As for local gatherings, at Confederation Park, Indigenous community members will hold a sacred fire on September 30th, sunrise to sunset. You can stop in front of the fountain and reflect on the legacy of residential schools at a temporary installation, sharing the 94 calls to action, until October 2nd. City staff will be on site on September 30th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. for a reflective program, inviting participants to reflect and share how you can commit to learn and take action in support of reconciliation. City Hall will be illuminated orange on September 30th from sunset to sunrise, and City Hall will raise the Every Child Matters flag on September 30th. On September 30th, the Pump House Museum will have take-home programming available. Families are encouraged to discuss the ways they can commit to learn and how they can take action to support reconciliation. Every Child Matters bracelets will be provided to wear in remembrance. At the Kingston Native Center and Language Nest, reconciliation with our plant relations will take place September 28th at Bell Island. You can contact Kingston Native Center and Language Nest for more information at kingstonlanguagenest at gmail.com. At Kingston Community Health Centers at 263 Weller Avenue, September 30th, all are welcome. There will be programming taking place from 10 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. For more information and programming, be sure to visit the City of Kingston website. In new programming from the Kingston Frontenac Public Library, the Winnipeg General Strike take a glimpse into Canada's past with Michael Dupuis, a city brought to a standstill by the unwavering determination of its workers as post-war labor demands, politics, industry, and violence came together. Be transported back to the pivotal Winnipeg strike with historian Michael Dupuis in an upcoming program with Kingston Frontenac Public Library, which will unravel the motivations behind the strike, shedding light on the perspectives of both the strikers and employers, and the political responses at various levels of government. Canada was a nation after World War I, but the path ahead was unclear, says Jake Miller, librarian. Michael Dupuy will show how the Winnipeg general strike, which ground Winnipeg to a halt from May 15th to June 26, 1919, put Canada's anxieties, hopes, and shortcomings on full display and impacted labor relations for decades. This is a great opportunity to learn more about such a crucial historical event. This event takes place at KFPL's Isabel Turner branch on October 14th at 2pm. Registration is required and can be done at calendar.kfpl.ca. The presentation is based on Dupuis' book, Winnipeg's General Strike, Reports from the Front Lines, and The Winnipeg General Strike, Ordinary Men and Women Under Extraordinary Circumstances. KFBL has these books and more of Dupuis' works available to borrow. It is Fire Prevention Week in South Frontenac. If you had a fire in your home, do you have an escape plan? Is your smoke alarm working? These are the questions South Frontenac Township wants residents to ask themselves as it prepares for Fire Prevention Week. In 2022, the Ontario Fire Marshal's Office reported 113 fire-related deaths, the highest number in more than 20 years in the province. Yet just over one in three residents have a working smoke alarm, says Interim Fire Chief Alex Bennett. In a house fire, you have less than two minutes to get out. A working smoke alarm can save your life. This year, South Frontenac Fire and Rescue is asking people to take action and do at least one thing to keep themselves and their families safe. Whether it's testing their smoke alarm, making an escape plan, or remembering to turn pot handles to the back of the stove. We've had a couple devastating fires in our community in the past few years. We're hoping people will be compelled to take action to prevent fires and be prepared for any emergencies, says Bennett. Fire Prevention Week is October 8th to 14th, 2023. The theme this year is Cooking Safety Starts With You. Pay attention to fire prevention. Cooking is the lead cause of house fires and house fire injuries in Canada and the US. Unattended cooking is the lead cause of cooking fires and deaths 
South Frontenac Fire and Rescue offers these tips to help reduce the risk of a cooking fire. Number one, watch what you heat. Always keep a close eye on the stove and never leave cooking unattended. Two, turn pot handles towards the back of the stove and keep a lid nearby when cooking. If a small grease fire starts, slide the lid over the pan and turn off the burner. Three, have a kit and pet-free zone of at least three feet around the stove or grill. Here are some of the events and activities taking place in South Frontenac to promote fire prevention and emergency preparedness. Thursday, September 28th, Saved by the Beeps, test your smoke alarm day. Volunteer firefighters will be out in the community reminding people about fire safety and encouraging them to test their smoke alarms. You can look for them from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. at the Sindem and Verona Foodland. Tuesday, October 10th from 7 to 9 p.m. is the fire station open houses. And September 28th to October 14th, hashtag Be Prepared South Front Act Contest. Snap a photo of you or family members doing something to be prepared in case of fire or an emergency and post it to social media using the hashtag, hashtag Be Prepared South Front Act. You can see the full contest details at southfrontnack.net. For more information on fire safety and events, you can visit southfrontnack.net slash fire-prevention or follow South Frontenac Fire and Rescue on Facebook at SF Fire and Rescue. Good evening, everyone. My name is Zayden Vergara, and welcome to your CFRC Sports Roundup. Last weekend, your Queen's University men's rugby team had their home opener against the Luria Golden Hawks at Nixon Field. This was the same team that ended the Gales season last year in the OUA semifinals. Through a hard-fought battle, Queens took the match 25-19. Queens women's rugby played the Guelph Griffins last weekend in a rematch of last year's OUA championship game. The match started with the team's trading penalty converts early in the contest to be deadlocked at 6-6. Rachel Cameron scored the game's first try in the 38th minute after a long run before Carmen Lizzi completed a strong passing play with another long run for a try. This one was converted by Lizzie Gibson that gave the Queens a 18-6 lead going into half. The Griffins started the second half with two tries and converts to take a two-point lead 20-18 with a few minutes remaining. Trailing, Queens needed to make a play, starting with Rachel Callum securing a great pass and running for the try to give Queens the lead. Lizzie Gibson converted the try and Queens held on for the final minute to secure the win, 25-20. Queens Cross Country kicked off the 2023 season with an outstanding result at the Bob Vigers Western Invitational in London, Ontario on Saturday. With the men's team finishing first overall and the women's team finishing fifth overall, the Gales earned first on the men's side with 54 points, three less than the second place UBC Thunderbirds. Jude Wheeler D was Queens top finisher on the men's side, finishing the race fifth overall with a time of 25-17, just 13 seconds behind the top place finisher Nicholas Bannon from Guelph. On the women's side, Queens finished with 157 points, 40 points behind the McMaster Marauders who finished 4th overall with 117 points. Lauren Lother was the top finisher for the Gales on the women's side, crossing the finish line 19th overall with a time of 31.09.3. Queens Cross Country returns to the course next weekend when they will compete in the Capital City Cross Country Challenge in Ottawa, Ontario. But on that note, that's all for your CFRC Sports Roundup. Now over to Erica Singh with your campus news. Thank you. Last week, I had the opportunity to meet with the president of the Arts and Science Undergraduate Society. ASSIS was founded in 1890 and serves as Queen's largest faculty society. Here is that interview. Hi, Amaya. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us how you became involved with ASSIS? Of course. Okay, so my name is Amaya Walters. I use she, her pronouns. I'm in my fifth year of sociology and a minor in Black Studies. 
Um, in terms of how I became involved with ASIS, in my third year of university, I was on the Queen's Equity Conference team, which is a committee under the Equity Commission in ASIS. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there, and most of my work has been through equity on campus. With that, I just wanted to get more involved in, in ASSES itself. It seemed like a great community, and I wanted to be more engaged with arts and science students. And then when I saw the election coming up, I saw it as a great opportunity to run and see if I could have further reach on campus. Great. Thank you so much. So what are some of your goals and priorities for this upcoming term? So I think as we all can tell, student engagement is really low or it's just it's just kind of coming, coming, we're coming out of COVID and seeing that students are wanting to get more involved but aren't sure exactly where to go. I think that's especially the case with the second and third year students at the moment. And I'm trying to make ASSIS a place for students who aren't involved in student government to feel as though they're included. I think there might be the false perception that in order to be involved with ASSIS, you need to be either a volunteer or working, you know, part-time or even full-time. ASSIS is a faculty society that serves students, and that means we have a lot of student-facing events where people can just come and participate and make some friends and, and just enjoy one another's company. Um, so I'm just trying to prioritize student engagement and some of the goals with that come with, you know, marketing, making sure that our events are known to students, um, and to also humanize ASSES to make sure that people know that, you know, who I am and who the vice presidents are as well as the rest of the council so they feel that they have students who are supporting them and who they can turn to if they have any questions or, you know, suggestions for how we can make ASSES more accessible and more inclusive. Um, another one of um, a long-term goal, I think, of ASSES is, you know, focusing on, on equity and making sure we're able to serve all students. Um, and that's going to look like changing some internal structures. As we know, student government isn't always accessible to a lot of students. And if we think about the foundation of student government and who was allowed to hold these positions in the past, we see the way that's reproduced in, in today's world and through today's ASSIS even. So just changing how ASSIS operates through external consultations. There's two positions. One's a new position that I'm hoping to pass at assembly later today. It's the Black Student Liaison position. And this position, position will allow um, myself to consult with a member of the Black community, Black student community, to gain some insight into how we can better serve them and what kind of gaps are present. And there's another student liaison position, which is a collaboration with the Queen's Native Student Association. And this is the Indigenous student liaison position. And this is very similar to the Black student liaison position. However, this one already exists. So just trying to revive that and get those consultations going. And then there's also some new trainings that we're having internally. So during council pre-week, which is the week before classes begin, we train our, our council members on a variety of different topics. However, you know, I took a look at the HR policies and revived some of them and took out the ones I felt weren't as relevant and replaced them with some ones that are. And I can give some examples. One of those is gender-based violence bystander intervention training, which trains students on how to intervene in cases of sexual or gender-based violence. And then another one is similar however it's different it's called responding to disclosures and that is another training offered through um, the student experience office and the human rights and equity office and that's teaching students how to respond to disclosures. 
Once again, that was Amaya Walters, the 133rd president of ASIS. To listen to the full interview, please check out Today in YGK on both Spotify and Apple Music. That's all from me today. Now over to Mia with the weather. Now it's time for your CFRC Weekly Weather Report. On Monday, September 25th, it'll be sunny with a high of 22 and a clear night with a low of 10 degrees. On Tuesday, it'll be sunny as well, slightly colder, with a high of 20 and a low of 6 with a clear night. On Wednesday, September 27th, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 19 and some cloudy periods overnight with a low of 8 degrees. And that's it for this part of the week. Check back in on Wednesday for your weekend weather forecast. This is Kat bringing you the weekly traffic report from September 22nd to September 28th. First, we're going to start off with road closures. On King Street, from Place to Arms to the Tragically Hip Way, it will be closed September 21st at 12.01 a.m. to September 23rd at 2 a.m. for events at the Leon Center. On Ontario Street, from Clarence to Brock, it will be closed September 23rd from 10 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. for His Majesty's Canadian ship Cataraqway Freedom of the City Parade. And then on Princess Street from Division to Ontario, it will be closed September 23rd from 7am to 7pm for the Princess Street Promenade. And then on University Avenue from Union to Earl, it will be closed until December 22nd for the removal of debris from demolition and concrete deliveries at the Queen's John Dutch University Centre project. And now we're going to be moving on to other delays in the Kingston area. On Bath Road at Queen Mary, expect delays until September 29th for the Utilities Kingston Nets project. On Princess Street from Collins Bay to Bay Ridge, expect delays until October 31st for the construction of new sidewalks and traffic signals along Princess Street. Please note that one lane of traffic will be maintained in each direction at all times on Princess Street. And then on Queen Street from Montreal to Sydenham, expect a westbound lane closure on September 28th from 7am to 5pm for a large concrete pour at 223 Princess Street. On Sir John A. McDonald Boulevard at Johnson, expect delays for the installation of a new high-pressure gas line for Utilities Kingston. And then finally, on Taylor Kidd Boulevard, from Collins Bay to 100 meters west of Collins Creek Bridge, expect a lane closure up until November 15th for the Collins Creek Bridge Rehabilitation Project. This was Kat bringing you the Kingston Weekly Traffic Report from September 22nd to September 28th. I hope you all have a lovely week. CFRC Community Concert and Events Calendar for September 25th through October 1st. Have an event you would like to be covered on our website and news programming? Contact us via cfrc.ca today. Starting from September 25th until September 29th is the Aces and End Soch poster sale. Come
come check out hundreds of posters for sale to decorate your new dorm room or house. It will be located at the Queen's Bioscience Complex from 9am to 8pm. On September 28th is the Bicycle Registration Pop-Up. Through a partnership with Student Community Relations and Campus Security, Kingston Police will be on campus outside of Stauffer Library on Thursday, September 21st through Thursday, September 28th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. If you own a bike, please feel free to stop by our booth and bring your bike to have it registered with 529 Garage. There is no cost. Also, on September 28th, for any student in first year at Queen's seeking connection and support during the complex transition period to university life, you could benefit from this group if you are feeling overwhelmed and anxious with managing it at all. Come and try a group and drop in at Student Wellness Services located at Mitchell Hall, or you can also register online at www.queensu.ca slash studentwellness. And then on September 29th, come and support the Kingston Frontenac hockey team at their home game against the Oshawa Generals. It will be located at the Leon Center from 7 to 10 p.m. On September 29th is the Party for Paws at the Grizzly Grill. This event is dedicated to raising funds and awareness for this new dog rescue organization in the community. Giants Dog House believes that every dog deserves a loving home and together we can make a difference in their lives. This event starts at 7 p.m. And then also on September 29th is the Climbing the Mountain Towards Reconciliation, a conversation with Dr. Sarah Funnell, Associate Dean of Indigenous Health. It will be at 1 p.m. in the School of Medicine building in room 132A. Anyone is welcome and participants can also attend virtually via Zoom. And then on September 30th marks the second annual National Day for Truth and Reconciliation in Canada. This day is to honor survivors, their families, and communities, and ensure that public commemoration of the history and legacy of residential schools remains a vital component of the reconciliation process. It is also Orange T-Shirt Day, an Indigenous-led movement created as an opportunity to discuss the effects of residential schools and their legacy and to share and learn from the stories of survivors. Orange shirts are available for sale now until October 2nd at the Tri-Color Outlet and also online. And they will also be on sale at the Queen Centre from September 27th until the 29th as well. And then finally on September 30th, there will be an Orange Shirt Day Sacred Fire to raise awareness about residential schools and missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirited people. Held at City Park from 12 to 6 p.m. And then finally, on October 1st, is the Engineering Spikeball Tournament 2023. Come hang out at Victoria Park and compete for the title of Engineering Spikeball Champions. Every two teams is responsible for bringing a net, and you must buy tickets in advance that are $5 per player. Buy tickets before Friday at www.engsoch.queensu.ca. This was Kat bringing you the community events calendar for September 25th through October 1st. I hope you all have a lovely week. Now it's time for your Kingston Concerts calendar from September 25th through September 30th. Ever wanted to try playing an instrument? Check out Joe's M-I-L-L at the Kingston and Frontenac Public Library from 4 p.m. until 6 p.m. on Wednesday, September 27th. Renting instruments is free and for all ages. 
Also on the 27th, Kingston Trio $5 Dates entertains the Tap Room at Spearhead Brewery for free from 7pm until 10pm, performing live covers from Neil Young, Mumford & Sons, and the Lumineers, maybe even a few by ACDC or Queen. On Tuesday, September 28th, Richie Young will be playing some music inspired by the 70s and 80s at Hotel Wolf Island. The show is from 7pm to 11pm and is free. Also on the 28th, catch Turtle Island Indigenous Music Through the Ages at Kingston Frontenac Public Library or online virtually. The show is put on by David Finkel, who will be playing some Indigenous music and talking about its history. It'll take place from 6pm until 7pm. That same night at the Grand Theatre, Wendy Laurier will be singing some songs from Linda Ronstadt and Karen Carpenter with a full band to celebrate the 70s. The show is presented by Springtime Entertainment and will take place at the Grand Theatre September 28th at 7.30. Tickets are still available online starting at $49. At the mansion that night, catch James Blonde celebrating the release of their new album, Chameleon, with special guests Red Compass Rose. The show is from 8pm to 11pm on the 28th, with doors at 7.30. Tickets are available now for $15 or $20 at the door. And also on the 28th, catch band Dewey Roadkill playing a free show at the Royal Tavern 2.0. On Friday, September 29th, which is my birthday, uh, Marker Starling and Dorothea Pass, two of Toronto's most incredible live musicians, will be playing Hotel Wolf Island from 7 to 11 p.m. The show is $15 or pay what you can. That same night, Grand On Stage presents Howard Jones Acoustic Trio, an intimate, stripped-down look through Howard's 40-year music career. The show delivers a fresh take on Howard's best-known hits and also provides the opportunity for the audience to hear firsthand about his inspiration, as well as stories from his touring career. The show will be at the Grand Theatre beginning at 7.30 on September 29th, and tickets are available for between $50 and $75 online now. Ever been interested in hearing someone play the organ? Catch Dave Wickerham playing the Kimball Theatre Organ, one of only three such organs in Canada, at the Kingston Theatre Organ Society at 7.30 on September 29th. Tickets for students and children are $8, and it's $25 for adults. Tickets are available online now. Also on the 29th, Acoustic Fridays continues, with Tegan McLaren playing a free show from 5pm until 8pm at Kirkpatrick's. Also free on the 29th is Menlo Lily at the Skeleton Park Brewery from 5 until 7 p.m. On September 30th, catch the Big Fat Horn Band at the Club RCHA from 8 p.m. until 11 p.m. The band has six horns accompanying vocalist Michael K. Myers. Tickets are $15 and available in person at the club now. Also on September 30th, the musical legacy of Chicago comes to the Grand Theater with band Brass Transit. The show begins at 7.30 p.m. and tickets are available now on the Grand website from $50 to $55. Kingston band No Limits will be playing the Merchant Tap House on September 30th and performing some epic rock tunes. The show is free and will take place from 10.30 to close at 2 a.m. And those are your Kingston concerts for the upcoming week. For more information, check out cfrc.ca for our concert and events calendar. Thank you for tuning in to CFRC's local news programming. To revisit episodes of Today in YGK and hear more from some of our guests, be sure to head to our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca. Today in YGK is brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University Career Services, and What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next.
What'll I Wear offers the best in vintage, funky, one-of-a-kind treasures, clothing, accessories, and a fabulous selection of jewels, vintage and new. Find the cutest purse, the most dashing of hats, and sunglasses. Everything to complete your individual look. What'll I Wear has it all. They can dress you from top to bottom. Find your new fashion fave at What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street in Kingston. Visit their new location and follow them on Facebook to keep up to date with what's in store at What'll I Wear. Dear listeners, as you may have heard, Meta, which owns Instagram and Facebook, is blocking Canadian access to all content created by news providers, including this radio station, in response to the Online Broadcasting Act. Access to local news and information matters to everyone, and while radio stations use their airwaves to keep you informed, we also use social media to share local news, events, and initiatives, and even content about our upcoming programming. We need you to write your MP and convey your concerns. Learn more and find a letter template for your MP on our website, cfrc.ca. Thank you for your support. 